episode number 108. This is Greg Duncan. And guess what? I'm basically flying almost by myself. Luckily, I mean, luckily, you guys know that you, we, use, we do interview news, interview news. This time we threw that out and uh, we invited somebody to join us and that worked out great because otherwise it would just be me and who wants 45 minutes of just me? I know my wife doesn't, so I'm sure you guys don't. Anyway, um, you guys, we talked about him in the last show. I have learned to actually pronounce his name. Ooh. Tarun Aurora is obsessed with high-quality working software, continuous delivery, and agile practices. He has experience managing technical programs, implementing digital strategy, and developing 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 quality at scale, delivering quality at scale. I only practiced this intro like 12 times. Anyway, Tarun has worked on va- <laughs> on various industry-leading programs for Fortune 500 companies in the financial and energy sector. Tarun is one of many geeks working for Avignad in the United Kingdom. Avignad helps clients and their customers realize results in a digital world through business technology solutions, cloud, and managed services that combine insight, innovation, and expertise in Microsoft technologies. So I can do that whole paragraph with no flood, but I couldn't do the first one. <clears throat> For the past five years, Tarun has been a Microsoft Most Valued Professional in Visual Studio and Development Technologies. His core strengths are Energy Architecture, .NET, WPF, gotta love the WPF, SQL, and PowerShell. He was awarded MVP of the Year by Microsoft in 2014 for going over and above in supporting product teams and the community with his contributions. He's also an ALM Ranger, some of our favorite people, and has contributed key guidance and tooling projects focusing on Azure, Team Foundation Server, Visual Studio Team Services, and Visual Studio Extensibility. Torun is an active open source community contributor, speaker, and blogger. He loves photography and travel. He's a very active traveler and has traveled to more than 21 countries in the last few months. 21 countries in the last few months. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Parts of the book that he's written that we're going to talk about were written on his journeys across three continents. While some tra- chapters were written on the benches of Turun, how do I pronounce that? Mauritius. On the Mauritius. And others were written in transit, transit airport lounges and taxis. Turun Aurora, welcome to Radio TFS. Thank you so much for such a grand introduction, Greg. It's a, it's a pleasure to be finally here on the show with you. Yeah, and I, I really have to apologize for butchering your name through all <laughs> the many, many episodes. But no, now going forward, I'll probably only butcher it every other time, not every time. I think, <laughs> I think to be fair, you weren't too off the mark. I mean, if someone's in the 10 to 15% error mark, I just simply enjoy that. I've had this classic case at Starbucks where I went in and this guy who was probably new at his job put in a lot of effort to ask my name when I ordered the coffee. And he asked my name, he asked it again, he asked me to spell it. And then five minutes later, when my coffee was ready, the barista just looked at the coffee cup and said, cappuccino. Didn't say my name. So it's, it's, it's just not, it's, it's, it's hard to pronounce, it's hard to write as well. So... We have some news this week. Luckily, we actually have a few news items before we start talking about all the cool stuff that you do. Uh, Today was just announced, like literally right before the show started recording, uh, TFS 2015 RC2 and Visual Studio 2015 Update to RC are now available. Uh, uh, Torun, what's like the cool things in um, the TFS 2015 RC2? 
hands down, you have to you have to appreciate that the teams delivered so much in 2015, and then update one, and then update two just seems like a new product release altogether. You're getting uh, the release management, the web-based release management. You're getting the cross-platform feedback management tool. And personally, for me, uh, my favorite thing in Update 2 RC is accessibility to the Visual Studio Team Services marketplace. So all the cool extensions that are that are being written by the product group, by the community, by the LM Rangers are now going to be available to your on-prem customers, your TFS customers as well. The experience might not be perfect because it's the first cut at it, but um, you know, having access to all these uh, cool extensions is just going to make the experience a lot more better. I completely agree, and I have to kind of chuckle at Brian's post or comment. The TFX extension support we are shipping an update to is definitely minimal viable product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love him for that. <laughs> Trying to manage those expectations there, but uh, uh, unfortunately, here at my day job, we are a Jira user. I know. I know. Yeah. But uh, one of their nice things was the extensibility. And even for our on-premise instance uh, installation was their extensibility. So I love – that was a huge hole for um, TFS. Seeing this move forward, that's awesome. It's going to make a big difference. It's going to make a huge difference. And I personally feel that the product team is only getting started with the whole uh, extensibility marketplace story. And I think there is just so much in store for people that are that are looking to uh, to grow in this space and, and, and for all the wonderful stuff that's lined up to be delivered in this space. Yeah, just you've seen as, as writing Visual Studio extensions and, and where you've seen uh, throughout the years, what when given an API, when given a surface to extend, how the community just jumps in and it extends it. Uh, some of the things that people have done with TFS behind the scenes, writing third-party apps and using the APIs is amazing. I just – it kind of boggles the mind to think of what they're going to be able to do with this kind of extensibility. Yeah, you're right. And and I've, I've been a partner in crime myself. Um, me and my colleague, uh, Utkarsh, uh, we really uh, took on the, the object model that was available with TFS 2010 and played uh, year on year with it. We wrote the team foundation, uh, team rooms extension, the news extension, the software library on the build server extension. And once you get started with it, it's just like it's you want to you want to write another extension, you find a gap, you want to build another extension for it. And now look at the modern uh, APIs that that are available um, and, and the whole surface area changes again. So uh, yeah, very interesting, this space. And what we've talked about before in the show, beyond all your extensions, uh, is just how the team is delivering new features via the marketplace. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, they're, they're eating their own dog food as Microsoft loves to do. And you know, they're just, uh, it's exciting. Sorry, I'm getting all excited now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So um, RC2 is also go live, which is great. And actually, the comment here, which is pretty neat, you can upgrade directly to it from any public go live release starting with TFS 2010, including TFS 2015 update to RC1. So if you guys have got TFS 2010 in your house, or like I am with 2013 update 4, uh, we can upgrade right to this RC if we want to. And the team loves your feedback, loves the feedback. They really jump on that. 
That's that's quite a big undertaking. You, you, like customers who have been on TFS 2010 and have always been shy to upgrade because they feel that their collection of projects is too big, or their process templates are too complicated, or their reporting warehouses are massive. You know, t- take Microsoft on this uh, for, for mentioning it this in the blog post and and go and do that upgrade and provide that feedback back to them. So Visual Studio 2015 Update 2 RC was also out, and uh, I, I had to kind of chuckle at this. I had a teammate who saw the Update 2 CTP that we talked about last show, I think, and he asked me if I should install it, and I said, eh, yeah, because he's doing production work, he's doing it on his work PC, and I said, no, you might want to hold off. With the RCs, you guys know there's go live licenses on it, so now I might redirect him and say, okay, now that the RC is out, go ahead and install it. The list of changes here in just these update twos are rather amazing. We'll have the links in the show notes, but it's from the C++ to Team Explorer to you get now the latest SQL Server data tools for Azure and SQL Server 2016. There's, uh, uh, you know, love click once. You know, that's still around, and they included an updated bootstrapper for uh, .NET 4.6.1 framework, TextMate snippet support, new NuGet, uh, all this stuff is in there. So make sure you guys check out the the notes we'll have in the show notes and um, install it. And again, give them feedback. These guys love the feedback, and they take action on it, even if the feedback is not good. Yeah, and, and my, my personal favorite in the in the update to RC is uh, for customers that are especially using application insights. And with update one, the application insight was available within Visual Studio. There were some rough edges, um, but the experience has all the more been improved in update two, where you can not only search for your application insight event, but then correlate that back to the single line of code as well. I lost my train of thought. I don't know where we were going to go. Oh, um Let's talk about extensions. We've been talking about extensions a lot. I I saw this post from Michael Dick, who I don't know if we've ever talked about on the show before, but he posted recently on the Visual Studio blog and new and noteworthy Visual Studio extensions for February 2016. Again, the extensibility just just boggles the mind. Some of these I've blogged about on the Coding for Fun blog. I do a a Visual Studio extension Mondays uh, from um, Shen, John McBride, Olivia Shilo, Mads Christensen, the madman of extensions, uh, from simple things like I, I love John McBride's extension. It is so simple, but it's like I've used I use literally use this extension almost every single day, if not multiple times a day. It's open bin folder extension. If you right mouse click on a solution or a project, it's like you can see the open folder in File Explorer in File Explorer, right? And immediately I go to the bin folder and double click on it and go to debug and double click on it. Uh, this makes this a lot easier. It's just one less click. What's also nice is he talks about, uh, Michael talks about other ways of building your own extensions. And at the bottom has the January roll up of uh, document extensions, of uh, Visual Studio extensions. So you said you did extensions, you did the, uh, the, the, <laughs> What was the extension? The, the chat extension? The, the team rooms extension. Yes, poor teams room. Team rooms. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the team rooms extension was quite an experience. Um, when Microsoft released the web-based uh, team rooms experience, um, a lot of the developers weren't really happy saying, but I spend most of my time in, in Visual Studio, and are you expecting me to go out of my context now and, and open up a browser to chat to my, my fellow colleague here? Um, 
and then uh, we looked at the API, and the API was very rich. Um, and having having developed extensions in the past, this seemed like the perfect opportunity to bridge a gap. Um, so me and, and Utkarsh uh, got started with this extension. The first version we uploaded, we had about 2,000 downloads in, in a day or so. And, and that told us something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just kept evolving the extension um, till we got to a point where we uh, came at feature parity to everything that was available in the web. Nice. So after 10,000 downloads and a lot of feedback, um, I, I, th- I think we got to a point where where um, the, the team rooms, um, uh, collaboration workspace itself seemed like weak in certain areas. So it's in a bit of a you know, lack of love area at the moment with the product group. But we'll see how it evolves because um, I'm hoping that it's going to receive a lot of love as we go along in, in into the next release of TFS. Yeah, that definitely seems for the MVPs and stuff, the, the you know feature that sounded good, but yeah, it's definitely not getting a lot of love or press or uh, excitement about it. You know, seems like Slack is the new shiny. Last news item, and then we're going to talk about uh, focus on uh, Tarun, and we're going to uh, uh, make him do most of the talking. I'm, I know you guys are tired of me. We have to talk about ALM Rangers, which goes well with him. Uh, they talked about a, a new extension. Again, we're talking about extensions. And, and at first, I thought this was silly, weird. I, I didn't quite get why. And now I do. It's the Print Cards V2 extension. Anisha uh, Pidoria talks about the extension that Gordon Beaming and Robert McLean wrote. And it's basically exactly what it is. It allows you uh, to print cards from your Kanban board to use on a physical scrum board. For, For the longest time, I didn't understand why why you would want this. Uh, recently, we've been doing uh, uh, rolling out Scrum here. We got a full-time Scrum master and, and everything else, and uh, we're getting more people on board. Now I get this because there are so many times when we have these meetings, we're doing, I'm, I'm starting to push for story maps, but our software, we, we don't have the, the extension for it. So I'm thinking, how do we do this? This tool is perfect for that. You print these things out, you cut them up, and then you can use the actual uh, um, user stories on your physical board. It's simple, easy, and it even has QR codes, which is way cool. I love that. So, to run, to run. <laughs> yeah, that's five different variances of my name already. <laughs> We're ten minutes into the show. <laughs> now, if we only we should have prompted everybody to have a drinking game. Ugh. But but then again, if we have a drinking game for every time Greg screws up a pronunciation, he wouldn't be able to walk out of the room. <laughs> anyway, so the one one of these things I like when we get somebody on that we haven't had on before is. I, I, what gets you up in the morning? What is it that makes you jump out of bed and says, "Oh, I can't wait to do this," or are you excited to 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 fire up the PC and and and, and you know spin up the IDE? What is what gets you out of bed? What gets you going? Sure. So. So I'm I'm really passionate about technology. I started programming when I was quite young. I was I was in school and and you know I'd go into the the computer lab and and write a few lines of code and you see this whole new world of 
you know, reality that you create with just a few lines of code and you can do stuff which isn't really possible sometimes when you when you don't know how to code. And, and so I didn't have a personal computer back then. Um, so I'd go early to school in India and then stay back in my school late just so I could spend that extra time in the computer lab. And in India back then, you couldn't even go to the computer lab wearing your shoes because computers were considered so precious that the room would get dirty. Maybe the computer would catch a virus or something. So, so I mean, you know, this was the hilarious world we lived in, but we still had access to computers and computer programming. And, and that really fascinated me. Um, and, and technology has really evolved over the past 15 years. You know, if you fast forward today, um, what used to be the thing of researchers and scientists back then is available to you to run your full Monte Carlo simulations, to do your if-else analysis of the stock market prices with the Twitter segment um, without even buying a single piece of hardware. And so that really gets me excited, you know, being able to to do umpteen number of things, explore the impossible, um, you know, and with the whole evolution of cloud, mobile, open source and avenues where Microsoft is going, it's just incredible. And and to be honest, there is less number of hours in the day to even cope up with what's coming out every day in the news. You know, I was talking to a co-worker and I really kind of felt the weight of, of the technology on me. I was talking about how we were talking about first jobs and stuff. And I was telling him how, how I started, you know, writing word macros on word 1.0a on Windows 3.1 and word basic. And he just looked at me like I was a dinosaur. And I, yeah, well, you know, but the fact is, you know, today we're still, even then we felt the, the rush of technology, but that's sped up so fast. But it's so exciting. Could you imagine not being in a field that moves like this? No, it'd be too boring. I'd, I'd, I'd die of boredom. Uh, I'm just being honest. Because <laughs> there's always something new. There's always some change. There's always some refought. And the, the, the fact that there's room for this change, there's room for these new thoughts, new avenues, uh, new experiences. Oh, I love this job. And and what's great is that the workplace we were, you know, we we live in today. Like if you if you've been the traditional Microsoft.NET developer, you had that career path where where you were going to do a bit of .NET and then maybe pick up another Microsoft product, maybe become an architect, and and then you know that was like the trajectory of your growth. But Microsoft's just reinvented itself, and and it's not the organization that you you imagine it would be, right? They're they're working open source. You know, if you're if you're Microsoft, you're alongside working with Java devs, you know, if you're Azure, you're working in Linux as well. Uh, so the whole breadth of this landscape is growing by the day. Who would have thought four years ago, you know, looking forward that we would, Microsoft would be where it is with the open source, with .NET Core, with Linux, with, uh, yeah, it was a dream. Oh, I got I to gotta ask you a question. We didn't have this in the show notes, so we're going off script <laughs> like we have a script. Um, what's your feelings on the Xamarin purchase? Oh, that's that's the big news of the week. So so once I finished writing the book, you know, I, I freed up some time. And, and for me, I wanted to go and explore what I thought would be quite interesting to learn. Uh, and that was the whole mobile thing that was going on. I, I felt I was sort of left out because uh, <laughs> I was busy doing other stuff when people were still learning mobile and, and Xamarin. And, and so the whole thing about 
mobile DevOps really seems to be picking up. If if you look at um, how Hockey App was bought out by Microsoft last year, and now how Xamarin's been acquired, and the sort of stuff that is being offered up for mobile DevOps through App Insights in Azure and through the Visual Studio Marketplace, the whole thing is beaming. So, so this is the place to be, right? Xamarin, Xamarin is the next uh, arena of evolution on the Microsoft's uh, mobile story. That's how I see it. Agre- yeah, I totally agree. I was so... You know, we've been talking about this on here, even on the show, that that was one of the, you know, uh, potential announcements, not last build, but build before. Everybody's expecting it to happen, expecting it to happen. And as a matter of fact, last year um, at the Xamarin party at Build, I had a beer with Miguel. Uh, and, you know, obviously he didn't know me from Adam, but I knew who he was. And I was trying not to go on my knees and bow and say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. But um, uh, talk about it, just like a normal just just a genuine kind of guy and we t- i talked about xamarin and, and the purchase and everything else and he was like yeah you know it's just it didn't happen and you know we're still powerful and all that stuff but uh uh the opportunities that, that will come that we'll hear more about this year at build and at xamarin evolve uh, has has got me really excited i just can't wait to have xamarin part of my msdn subscription i'm just keeping my fingers <laughs> crossed that really happens i've already promised my coworkers that i'm going to have to build a cross platform cross device um scrum meeting buzzword bingo game with a azure cloud lobby and shared result and leaderboards and you know we can have it on our ios and my windows phone and uh, just so we can try to survive some of our Scrum meetings. Cool. Not that I'm saying anything wrong with our scrum meetings, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so go ahead. And so I was going to say, if you read, uh, if you read Mr. Scott's uh, uh, blog post about the Xamarin acquisition, you'd see of all the comments in his blog post, one thing that's constantly being asked is, is Xamarin going to be included as a benefit in the MSDN licensing going forward? <laughs> I I would be it, it will have to I, I I can't see anything but it being that and I wouldn't be surprised if a good bit of it isn't part of the free Visual Studio Community additions or or program uh, you know it, it's the story and I really uh, I can't wait <sighs> sorry I got excited I got examined excited. Avignon, tell me about Avignon. I've heard about it for forever. I know you work with like some top names. What's it like working? So Avignon is a is a great organization to work for, and I've been with um, I've been working with them for years now. Um, Avignon, not many people know, is a spinoff from Microsoft. Uh, it's a joint collaboration between Microsoft and Accenture. So it gets the best of both worlds from a consulting point of view and from a technology point of view. Uh, and and Avanard is a is a is a Microsoft Gold partner. It's a it's a it's a leading innovator in the Microsoft ecosystem. But what's really great is that Avanard is very passionate about the software craft, craftsmanship. And so in combination with scrum.org uh, Avanard and Scrum.org have partnered to take software development to the next level. So Avanard is an organization. We have more than 12 professional Scrum trainers, and this is the highest number globally uh, for any organization to have that number of Scrum trainers. Um, it's just incredible. Um, and and we have over 25 MVPs from various disciplines. So you can wow. sort of feel the energy when you walk into a room where, where the Avanade folks are, are sitting and having a cup of coffee. It's just technology, 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 business solutions, digital, <laughs> IT, cloud, mobile, Xamarin, this, Linux, Azure. 
I was like, slow down, guys. I need a breath. <laughs> yeah, so, so my personal favorite about the Avanad story is that there's constant change. And a few months I'm consulting, helping customers realize that the sort of innovation they can, they can achieve by moving to the cloud. The next few months I'm working in a hands-on development or a testing role, building a real-time power trading application. So this constant change of opportunity from consulting and delivery keeps you, you know, pace with the changes in technology but keeps you close to the hands-on knowledge as well. And the combination of both, I think, is just deadly. Now, I have to ask you a difficult question about Avignard and, and consulting firms. I, I've worked with, as a matter of fact, I've worked with Arthur Anderson during the Anderson and Accenture split off, and I've worked with uh, a KPMG for a number of years, and I've seen how these kind of consulting, quote-unquote, even though they're accounting consulting firms, kind of you know uh, go after the the billability, the utilization, the hours. Uh, you say Avignard is hot on um, software craftsmanship. So are they willing? To, uh, they're 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 going to invest in that time because it it takes time and effort and support and uh, to actually craft great software. Do you do you get that kind of support from Avignard and your peers? Absolutely. So, so so talking a little bit about the organization more is Avignard is the sort of workplace where each employee is mandated to do 80 hours of training every year. So if you didn't do your 80 hours of training, which is professional technical training, then you'd be marked down. And that's incentive to take some time off work and, and you know, pioneer whatever next level of uh, agility you need to deliver better quality software faster. Um, and then apart from that, um, if you if you look at Avenard, you'll see that there are so many open source contributions from employees, uh, innovation being being open source for others to collaborate on. And this is another sign where the company is not just inventing and innovating for its personal use, but but happy to share that knowledge uh, out in the open to help people collaborate and, and, and build greater resources for everyone to consume. How many people work there? So it's a it's a big company. We're we're 15 years old now. Um, we, we it was 2000 when we uh, when we were born, and and it's been 15 plus years. We're 25,000 plus people in 48 countries. Wow, it's big. Yeah, it's growing. <laughs> What's the resume at email app? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I didn't say that out loud. If you just send it to me, Greg, we can share it as well. <laughs> la 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 la. <laughs> Co-workers, I'm going to edit that part out. No. Um, MVP, talk to me about MVP. Uh, what is it like to be MVP of the year? How do you get that? So MVP stands for the minimal viable product. So if, <laughs> if you're the MVP who does nothing the whole year round, you're the MVP of the year. <laughs> oh, dude, you're killing me. Uh, on, a, on a more senior, serious <laughs> note, MVP of the year is still Microsoft's most valuable professional of the year. And I was very fortunate to receive that prestigious recognition in 2014. And I personally want to thank Brian Harry, uh, Charles Sterling, Brian Keller, you know, Vili and, and all these amazing MVPs out there. Because, uh, you know, you're part of all these insider programs and a lot of what's discussed there can't be taken out. But you learn so much and, and the sort of ideas you get from 
from being part of that group just makes you smarter. So you come out of the room and now you're looking at the same product, but from an angle that no one has. And and now you're you're giving brighter ideas. You're 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 taking these products to the customers and helping them champion and unlock the full potential of these products. You're going in conferences. You're answering questions on forums. And you know any every way that you can to take the product to the next level and and the more you contribute the more you know you're closer in in coordination with the product team and and i think that's what really counts to become the mvp of the year you know the thing i realized uh, becoming an mvp is just how much even more how much i don't know at, at what these people do behind the scenes and what the teams do uh, the roles even like brian harry who we hope Fingers crossed, we're going to have on next in two weeks. Uh, but just you kind of see these guys I, I, from my seat. I see Brian Harry is you know top of the pyramid, you know uh, kind of level, and I, I see his responses in our, our mailing lists every day, multiple times a day. Sometimes going in depth, sometimes just punting or not punting, but bringing in other people, um, let alone his blog posts when he goes into details about, you know, issues that they've run into. Um, but that's just an example of, it, you know, yeah, organizations are driven from bottom up and top down. And you're, you're right. And, and I think I think this specific product group um, that Brian um, and a lot of the other prestigious Microsoft colleagues are part of is very unique. I mean, I've heard from other MVPs that uh, yeah, they're involved in product decision shaping. But, you know, when, when we talk to them about the TFS and Visual Studio and VSTS product group, they just feel that we are special. And, and the amount of collaboration the product team has with us is far more than potentially any other MVP have with their product groups. You know, we, we've talked about the summits before here on the show and, and how sometimes some of the presentations, when we go to the MVP summit, it's all ALM stuff like four or five days solid. And like, like you said, I've talked to other MVPs too, and they said, oh yeah, we go in for a day maybe and then pick other things. You know, the ALM track is just packed. And um, our MVPs are not afraid to give that feedback, are they? Yeah, no, no one bit, no one bit. <laughs> uh, yes, Brian Randall, I'm looking at you. Uh, um, straight up. <laughs> <laughs> and the team is actually willing to accept it. Not only willing to accept it, but they will take action on it. We had an NDA call today, and I can't tell you on what, obviously, because it's NDA. But there was some strong uh, feedback on that, and the team's like going, oh, oh. Okay, well, I think we'll, maybe we'll rethink this thing that we are working on because the MVPs were just not afraid. The thing is, though, they're doing it politely or, or constructively. Yeah, they're not doing a flame war in comments. You guys suck, uh, but they're just giving. You know, like, look, I can't use that with my clients. They just won't do it. And so, Greg, so what was? Go ahead. Sorry, what I was going to say was uh, what was quite interesting in the last MVP summit was meeting Aaron Bjork. Um, and, and from speaking to him in the evening over drinks, he said, uh, during the MVP summit, they had a lot of first time, uh, program managers come in to do pitches about the new features that they're working on to the MVPs. And they were quite nervous because they'd heard a lot about the ALM MVPs being absolutely honest and brutal. Um, and, and so they were quite nervous and, and, and Aaron said, just go in and, you know, be honest about your feature and, and, and take the feedback positively and constructively. You know, they, their, their goal is really to just make the product better. It's not personal. It's all about the product. Right. 
Yeah, I totally saw that. You know, if if the MVP group was like disrespectful, nobody would like that. Nobody would hate that. No, they're all looking to improve the product. I totally agree with that. Now, the Slack channel talking behind the scenes was interesting, but don't mention it. So what would what advice would you have for some of our listeners who would like to join this MVP community? Any advice for prospective MVPs? Yeah, so um if if you if you are really passionate about the technology discipline that you aspire to be an MVP in, then then go out there and show the community that you're passionate. You know, go and solve some real world problems. Go and spend some time in forums and talk to people who are really challenged challenged by uh, the inability to use the product correctly, or they're stuck, or they have issues, and and help them out. And you'd see that your knowledge of the product will one grow exponentially, and two, you'd start to get recognized as someone who is who is you know championing the product. And this is really the to become an MVP. Uh, I wouldn't say this is the thing to do to become an MVP, but this is certainly the starting point. And, and things change, right? I've, I've been in touch with so many folks who started doing this and got even more passionate. Next thing, they were on the road speaking in user groups, forums, tech ads, and, and next year they have this email in their inbox saying, congratulations, you're MVP. Agreed. And you don't have to be a speaker. You don't have to be a blogcaster. You don't have to be the the tech ed guy, especially now. Microsoft is really evolving the program to recognize open source uh, contributions as as a key part of contributing to the community. So one of the avenues that I know a lot of people take to the road to MVP is being an ALM Ranger. And you know, their ALM Rangers are some of our favorite people. Um, the, what were the projects you worked on as an ALM Ranger? Several. Um, so I, I started working in the build extensions project. And as a build extension project happened because there were some gaps in the extensibility of the, the good old um, XAML-based build engine. And so uh, we would create small tasks that people could just plug in into their XAML workflow and it will solve a problem. And and starting from a, a few tasks, it became like a massive library to a whole toolkit. And then we were basically just starting to write the whole Visual Studio component of build management. Um, so it got really far. Um, it, that was a really exciting project to work on. Um, after that, I worked on the TFS guidance project for um, setting up TFS in Azure. Uh, I, I got involved in the DevOps um, Unicorn project um, and other guidance and implementation and extension projects. So, so for me, you know, I personally think ALM Rangers is a is, is a great group of people. Um, it's not just people who are champions in process. It's people who are champions in process and tooling, and not just Microsoft tooling, but tooling from 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 different uh, partners, companies, uh, and you bring all of that together, and that's the unique group ALM Rangers is. Um, ALM Rangers for me is that group that I see as solving the problems of today. You know, where they see a gap in the knowledge or gap in the product, they'll go and build that extension, they'll go and write that document. For me, when I look at the MVP group, I see that as the group who is working very closely with the product team, you know, sometimes in private personals give that feedback to shape the direction of the product. Today, there is a massive overlap between what MVPs do and what the Rangers do, but I think they still have their unique balances in, in both camps. Yeah, the, the recent somewhat, I would call it pivot of the Rangers to the VSTS and now TFS extensions, I find interesting. I think that's pretty cool because I was first introduced to the ALM Rangers like a million years ago with all their documentation uh, and now seeing the, the more towards the extensions 
of actualizing their suggestions versus just documenting them. How does somebody become a ranger? Um, good, good question. Uh, there's a very nice blog post by Willie, which I think we should include in, in the notes of, um, of this uh, episode. But, but just in summary, um, if, you're, if you're interested in, in becoming an ALM ranger, then write into that um, email address, um, which will be included in the notes, and just send, some, send a description of why you're passionate about the subject, your experience with ALM and DevOps. And then internally uh, within the Rangers, uh, we would get together and, and profile the, um, you know, the, the depth of experience and vote to either select or not select a candidate. Is it hard? Is it like, does it take a thousand years of, of, of work and effort? Or is this something that like Joe Developer can do? Joe Developer can do it. You just got to be passionate about the subject. And, and the feedback loop about the selection is quite swift. So it's not that you'd be put on hold for years and months and then you just keep sitting there wondering what happened to your nomination. It's, it's pretty quick. Um, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't come across many profiles where the person was uh, passionate and it, it didn't get selected. A, a lot of people get opportunity. And once you're in the program, you can get involved in all sorts of work that's going on to really show your depth of experience and shine. Nice. Now, uh, listeners, I know you guys got this already, but did you catch those two for the last two subjects for MVP and ALM Ranger? There was one word, passion. That is the key that will help you succeed in both these areas. Heck, it'll help you succeed in your day job. If you're passionate about it, you're going to want to do great. About it. All right. So I have to ask, um, what kind of crackers or celery? I know it's like late there. It's like a million o'clock there. Um, are you having? Are you having celery? No, <laughs> no. I'm. I just had a cup of coffee. I wasn't feeling too well. I have oh. a bit of cold as well. So just just keeping myself awake. Okay. Sorry. Well, we've only got a few more minutes. We've actually got uh, five, ten more minutes, and, and we would totally not be doing our listeners a service if we didn't talk about your more about your book. We talked about it last week. We had the promotion codes in the post. We'll have the promotion codes and the link to buy the book uh, in this week's as well. Uh, why did you? Uh, the book is. Um, ALM and DevOps with Team Foundation Server Cookbook. Why'd you write it? So, so Greg, there comes a point in life when, when you need to stop reading other people's books and just write your own book. And I, and I think I came to that point um, this year when, when TFS 2013 and, and I, I looked around for 15 and I couldn't see anyone writing a book which was in the context of not just ALM, but DevOps and ALM for for really leveraging Team Foundation Server. And so the books I looked at, they, they were very much uh, about the product. Whereas if you go in the marketplace, customers are more interested to see how they can leverage scenarios uh, sorry, features in the scenarios that they're, they're trying to solve. And so that's the approach I've taken for the book, um, to talk about the features, but in the context of scenarios so that you can directly apply them to solve real-world problems. Nice. The cookbook, the recipes. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, what's it like writing a book like this? Um, so I learned a few things about writing a book. One, writing a book won't make you rich. <laughs> writing a book will give you a little bit of publicity, uh, but... Um, yeah, I mean, look at me. I'm on your show this this time, and and you know, you wouldn't have invited me otherwise. So I'd say, yeah, writing the book was all the more worth it. I I also learned that the product team can reinvent a feature quicker than the time it takes you to write out that feature. <laughs> so so in in all honesty, Greg, I, I, in the first draft when when TFS 2015 was in CTP, I was just afraid to blink because uh -huh. I'm writing about a feature in a chapter, and I finished the chapter. 
and the features changed. It's got better, but you would not be doing justice if you weren't covering the, the new, the greatest and the latest. So after four drafts and, and two pre-final assessments, I, after 10 months of work, finished the book and got it to a stage where I managed to capture everything all the way up till update, update two. So yeah, quite, quite happy with that. Nice, nice. What's the coolest thing you learned when writing the book? Um, I learned a lot about the product myself. And, and, you know, I've been using the product for years, but it's incredible when you look at the product from a point of view of not just using it, but trying to explain it to someone to how to use it and leverage it. You just see so much in the product and the features that would just otherwise go unnoticed. And, and so, yeah, that was, that was one great thing about writing the book. The the second good thing was the language. Um, you know, sometimes you're trying to articulate um, a, a solution to a problem, but you're just trying to explain it in a manner where it doesn't seem like you're you're trying to tell a story of 50 pages, but just crisp enough to explain the problem and the solution, but but detailed enough so that you don't miss out on the gist of what the solution is about. Uh, off script, did Avanyad know about you were writing it? Did they support you with it, or was this totally just moonlighting no so so Avenard were very supportive about the about the whole thing and and i have to to give it to them uh, you know i i spoke to my career manager and i said look i've you know I've, i'm pretty passionate about the subject and i want to write a book and i managed to take some time off work um and and you know i i, I managed to help um uh, you know get some time off and at the same time be on customer sites where i didn't have to travel too much so that meant i could have more time free in the evening to spend on writing the book otherwise so all in all avanard was very supportive about the idea the product team you give a great in your post about it a, a great shout out to brian harry buck hodges aaron bjorn chris Patterson. i'm not going to pronounce his name go be <laughs> even i yeah that <laughs> Charles Durling, Willie Peter, Karen Ng, you know, Ravi. Um, how active were these guys in helping you? Were they just answering questions or were they like reviewing chapters or? So, so some of the guys did review the recipes, some of the recipes in the chapter. Some of the guys were really instrumental in, in answering questions. Some of the guys were useful in giving the direction as to what would be most relevant to customers uh, in the book. So put all of that together. I think all of that is important. If they were just answering questions, the book wouldn't be what it is. If they were just giving too much guidance, the book would probably be off track. But, but I think the ultimate combination of the three has really helped keep the book relevant nice and, and you know we had josh garvick on last week or last show you give him a shout out to him the alm champs alm rangers uh, uh helped you with the book as well how was that working with them yeah so alm champs really love giving feedback and they can be somewhat vocal about it so uh, i i took a slightly different approach where i let the pub publication company find its own reviewers and you know go through the more formal formal process of review with with the people they identified on the side i would finish a chapter or a few recipes and then i'd ping that across to a small private group of few friends in the alm champs alm rangers uh in the product group and start getting their feedback and that one-to-one to get the feedback was very relevant. What I also realized very quickly is when you email a bigger group of people and there are just so many people in the to list, you don't really get a reply or you get a reply which is irrelevant. <laughs> so <laughs> keep, keeping it personal did help and then you could sometimes chase them. But sometimes when you didn't receive a response, you knew they, they were probably busy and, and so you move on. Um, 
What was the scariest thing that you learned? You learned a lot about the product. You got all this feedback. What was the scariest thing? I, I'm not sure what I mean by scary, but like, you know, the greatest place, an oops moment or the, I, oh my God, I never knew that I was doing it wrong the whole time. Or yeah, what was the scariest thing? So, so the scariest thing for me was um, when I was close to finishing the book, um, there was a bit of conversation in the product team that release management may not make it to update two. And I'd, I'd spend all this time writing about release management in, in a full chapter, my whole DevOps flow from, you know, you're finished writing your code and it's, it's about time to do your quality measures, your testing, and there's not going to be a release. So what am I going to fill in there now? Um, and I can't, I can't literally publish something that's still in NDA, right? So that was, that was the scariest moment for me. And that would have meant that if I don't publish the book now and I hold back till update three, the other half of the book might become irrelevant. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Huh? Wow. You said it. <laughs> uh, and I do have to laugh that you know, in Chapter 8, Extending and Customizing Team Foundation Server, you even give Jira a little shout out there. Yeah, poor Jira. <laughs> Not poor Jira, but yeah. poor us. I, I think my personal favorite chapter is um, Chapter um, – when I talk about testing. And, and so I read a lot about TFS. And in the previous books I've read, it's all been about Microsoft Test Manager. It's about the Microsoft framework of testing and you know, the coded UI. But this time around, there was so much to write in testing. I mean, look at it. The whole, the whole test agent thing has been distilled down to a single task, which runs as part of your build process. Now you're integrating right off the bat with Selenium. You're, you're integrating to run your um, you know, Perfecto Mobile. Um, uh, your functional test, your your performance test, all within the scope of your build engine. So what is it testing can do on its own that it can do as part of your build process? So the whole story about the automation that you can bring by leveraging some of these open source tools and integrating them within your build and release workflows is, is probably the best part of the book for me. Nice, nice. Now, if there was somebody buys this book and there was just one thing that you hope they pick up of, what would that one thing be? Um, there is a line in the introduction that says, if you bought this book, give the author a shout out on Twitter. <laughs> and if they did that, I'd be really pleased. <laughs> no, jokes aside. I, I think, um, for me, I think um, the, the one thing that's worth taking away is, you know, gone are those days of uh, traditional delivery where your application lifecycle was very sequential in nature and, you know, you do a bit of design and build and test and release. And it's just about increasing the velocity of that feedback loop. And as long as you can leverage the product uh, by opening up the avenues of build, test, deploy, feedback quicker you can unlock the full potential of the product. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're coming up to the end of the show. Uh, what's coming up for you? So what's coming up for me? Personally, um, I've, I think the, the nine, 10 months of writing the book have been quite exhausting. Um, at one point I thought, oh, just leave it. You know, I'll, I'll just probably just publish the whole book on my blog and give up. It's too tiring. But now that it's, it's come to an end, I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm, I'm relaxing these days. Um, I'm taking some time off, so I'm not going to be traveling to build. I'm just going to 
uh, spend some time with family. Um, but but personally, I'm I'm spending a lot of time learning Xamarin. I'm looking at mobile DevOps. I think mobile DevOps and and containers is probably the next big thing that's happening. And and if you're in the business of software development and and you know championing the quality of software and the pace of delivery, then this is a space you can't ignore. And so now that I have that time, I want to invest that time and learn a, a lot more about this subject and and see where I can get to with that. Yeah, containers are interesting. I, I, that's going to be huge. That's it's going to be as big of an impact as VMs ever were, if not more so. Can't wait for that to be part of my environment. So, how can people get a hold of you? So, people can get hold of me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handler is if you can. Oh, it's going to be hard, right? You know, my brother. I'll have, the, my, I'll have all the. Oh, I was just going to say, Greg. My my brother tells me I should get my name changed uh, because the industry I'm in, I'm not going to be very successful if people hear my name and then they go on Google and search for it and they can't spell it. So I should probably arrive at a name that's convenient to understand and spell. And I don't think he's wrong about that. <laughs> So well, yeah, we'll have your blog. We'll have your Twitter address, the Visual Studio Geeks blog. That's where I pick up all of all, all of the posts that we always highlight from you is the Visual Studio Geeks blog. Um, all right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, we do have um, Yarun Yasin. We got your email. Okay. Um, he emailed us a question: What's the current state and future of Codeplex? Uh, we're not going to answer that today. I will try to ask Brian that uh, on the next show, but I will put in the show notes uh, last year's build events where Martin Woodward talked about it. We talked about it in episode 88 where um, he states CodePlex is not dead. Uh, He has a great comment on that. So make sure you go to the show notes for this show. Uh, We'll we'll direct you to that and you can read up on there. And I'll try to make sure we ask Brian that. And thank you for your email. Um, Tarun. Aurora, I want to thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's it's simply been a pleasure, Greg. And and I think uh, I, I think it's fantastic because I've been listening to the show forever now, and and now to be on the show and and be be personally speaking to you on the show, it's just been a privilege. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and I really appreciate those words because you know my mom listens to the show and she doesn't understand anything that i said <laughs> so <laughs> uh and everybody i want to thank you for listening if you want to contact us send us an email at radio tfs at outlook.com or via email uh via twitter at radio tfs facebook we're at uh facebook.com slash radio tfs voicemail remember we will as long as it's like safe for work um try to get your voicemail actually on the air Area code uh, 1-425-233-8379. Um, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Tarun, again, thank you. And thank you for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.